According to Matthew, the fifth chapter, Jesus said to the disciples, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For God makes sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. God's beloved people, grace to you and peace from God, our Creator, and from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This gospel reading took me back to a time when I was in the fifth grade and began playing the violin. My parents loved classical music and were delighted that I had the opportunity to take lessons. My father, in particular, was over the moon. I think he could picture my future career as a violin performance major playing in Carnegie Hall. His praise was effusive. You are such a natural, Rebecca. I have never heard you play a wrong note. His love and enthusiasm clearly colored his hearing. <laughs> have you ever heard a beginning violinist? It is not a pretty thing, at least not when I played it. I played wrong notes all the time. My father's vision of me as a violinist was so far from my own experience, and I didn't want to disappoint him with the truth. So I found myself practicing when he wasn't home or behind the closed door of my bedroom as quietly as I could. He had such a grand vision and could imagine something I couldn't imagine, which is great, but it paralyzed me a little bit. I was afraid I wouldn't measure up. This memory came to me when I read this gospel text. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shares this grand vision of the reign of God, a vision in which ethical expectations not only fulfill the law, but surpass it, transcend it. Nowhere does the weight of those expectations feel as heavy as in this verse we hear in our gospel passage today. Be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How do these words land in your ears? What is your reaction to them? 
Is it to deflect them with a wave of your hand and a roll of your eyes? Yeah, right, Jesus, whatever. Do they puzzle or confuse you? Like many of the messages that seem mixed in Scripture, God loves you and accepts you just the way you are, and by the way, be perfect, like God is perfect. Or when you hear these words, do you get that sinking feeling? Like you will never measure up. You will never be enough. Don't get me wrong. Jesus' ethical expectations make sense to me. He addressed the very things that tear at the fabric of human community. Self-righteousness, greed, violence, using power in self-serving ways. I get that. But perfection? This expectation paralyzes me a little bit. It makes me want to go into my bedroom and shut the door so that my shortcomings are a little less glaring. So I wonder, I wonder if we're missing something here. Jesus' goal in his teaching and preaching was to plant a vision of the reign of God, to build a community of people inspired by that vision, called to live in it by following him. His goal was not to discourage people, to paralyze them or crush them under the weight of the law. That's not a very effective community-building strategy. So if that's how we hear this passage, I think we need to listen again. Jesus actually sounds quite a bit like his ancestor Moses, who was also a community builder. As Moses led a group of homeless, weary Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, he held up a vision for them, God's vision. You are holy, Moses told them as God is holy. He wasn't trying to pile on to their already challenging lives. He was giving them a glimpse of how God saw them, what God wanted for them as they were shaped into the people of God. Jesus' words echo those of Moses. Be perfect as God is perfect. I wonder if what both Moses and Jesus were speaking of was a family resemblance. We know how that works, don't we? In some families, the resemblance is carried in DNA, the color of eyes, the shape of a nose, the slant of a chin. In families who don't share DNA, the resemblance is carried in shared mannerisms, facial expressions, tones of voice. Hebrew scripture tells us that we are created in the image and likeness of God. What does this mean except that we bear a resemblance to God? And Paul tells us that joined to Christ Jesus in baptism, we are members of the body of Christ. Could this mean that we share spiritual and ethical DNA with Jesus? Throughout this whole passage of Matthew's gospel, as Jesus describes who we are, as God's people, I hear the deep, intimate connection God has with us. God is holy, and we belong to God, so this holiness is also ours. God is perfect, and we are God's very own, so this being perfect is God's desire for us. The source of our character comes from God's character. The shape of our life comes from God's life shared with us. What God requires of us, God also provides for us.
We are formed into people of God by the power of God at work in us. Paul described this very thing to the newly forming congregation in Corinth. They were struggling mightily with their new identity in Christ and with moral and ethical living. So Paul wrote to them to encourage them, to remind them of who they were and what that meant. You belong to Christ, he told them, and Christ belongs to God. This changes your whole life. You have been built on the foundation of Christ and are God's temple in the world, like all the fancy Greek and Roman temples that you see around you. The Spirit of God is alive and active in you, building you up as a community, making you into a fit dwelling place for God. You see, Paul had an understanding of this word perfect, I think, born of his own experience. This word doesn't refer to moral perfectionism, something we achieve through our own righteousness. Perfect means complete, to reach the goal or the end point. Paul trusted that the Spirit of God was at work in the church, in all of those who had been joined to Christ, forming us into a new creation. Paul also trusted that it was the Spirit's job to finish, to complete, to perfect the work that Christ had begun. In his own life, Paul had learned what a dead end perfectionism is, striving to achieve righteousness on his own. But he was confident that God could and would perfect and bring to completion all which God had begun. His letter to the Philippians opens with these words, I am confident that the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. You and I are invited to share this confidence to trust that the Spirit of God is at work in us, shaping us, forming us, building us into the people God created us to be. The Spirit has this amazing ability to take our timid faith and our humble efforts and build us into the body of Christ, a fit dwelling place for God. This is not our own doing. It is the work of God in us so that by the love and grace of God, we may reflect the love and grace of God to the world. Thanks be to God for this promise and for this call.